0: And someone told me that I should record too, but maybe it looks like it's recording. So I think we're okay.
1: Uh, we're gonna spend four weeks, the Wheel of Life and the Bodhisattva Path. I think I wanna start with,
0: uh, I'm really grateful to be doing this following what we just did for the last month, and talking about the Earth and the climate crisis and all beings and uh,
1: it's tender, and we all care.
0: And I also um it's kind of selfish in a certain kind of way, but I think it's good enough selfishness is uh, I and Bob and seven other people returned um, uh, at the beginning of September. We went on a civil rights pilgrimage to Birmingham and Selma and Montgomery. And most of the time these days, I'm sort of walking around looking like I'm put back together again. Um, But I will say to you, and I think Bob might say the same thing is uh, it was a process of kind of coming apart. Of witnessing incredible courage and incredible. uh,
1: It's not a word I usually
0: use, but the word that started coming to me was evil. And then I had to deal with that. Then someone told me that what Brother David Steindl Rost says, someone asked him what evil is, and he says, it's when you say no to life. Just say no and no, and then something kind of happens that's bigger than the sum of the parts. And I always think, because it's a really important part of my vowing, um, is Suzuki Roshi said that if you think you can't do the precepts, that's arrogance. Just each moment you just say, Yes, I will. And yes, I will. And that's uh what we helped each other do in the pilgrimage. And I think what we and Sangha help each other do. Is just say, yes, I will, not knowing uh, where the next foot is, but trusting the ground underneath us. And that's really, really beautiful and why I'm so happy to be here with all of you. So the wheel of life. Well, let me say first of all, the first the four weeks. This tonight, what I, I hope to do is um give a basic and a little bit of an in-depth feeling for the wheel of life and especially the six realms. Uh next week I want to focus on the bodhisattva path. That's is what is it? Uh, what is what is this? thing that we talk about, being bodhisattvas. Uh, The third week, I want to turn towards way-seeking mind, which is the mind of bodhicitta, because I don't want this to be just intellectual and distant, just me saying Zen teachings or Buddhist teachings. I really hope we each take this in and turn it in our own lives. And ask deeply, what what is this, and who are we, and what are we doing? This being bodhisattvas in this crazy beautiful world. And then the fourth week, um, there are th- three people who have I won't name them yet because they're already nervous, but <laughs> who have bravely said that they will give uh, way seeking mind talks. And my experience with way-seeking mind talks is that everybody gives a way-seeking mind talk because we're all mirrors of each other, and it turns inside of each one of us. Is so, what is this practice and this path and this life? What is it to express yourself? So that's uh, that's kind of the play card, or at least we'll see what happens. But that's my intention. Maybe just for a minute, uh, can we just put up, uh, I think we'll take, we're gonna do a little screen sharing, but I also have some images. Can we just, so everybody here orients, uh, uh, Shiffy found a really clear image of the wheel of life. Can we just put that up for a minute? So we can all just, it's like take a breath and just meet it.
1: See what arises. That Maya, I heard that was you. Oh yeah, the blue one.
0: maybe I'll just talk for a minute while it's up. uh it always startles me. It's part of the reason I like it <laughs> i'm I'm visual uh there's many, many uh different depictions of the wheel of life. uh this one has all of the ingredients that i uh
1: always look for uh it re- it embodies it's
0: kind of amazing. its said that it's came from the time of the Buddha, that the Buddha himself, the story is, uh, the Buddha himself designed it for the Indian king Magadha, who contemplated it fully and became enlightened. So there you go. This is your great moment (laughs) and moments to let it in and contemplate it fully. Uh, it's found at the doorway of practically every temple or monastery in Tibet or Tibetan lineage. I I I knew it, but I think I was in Sikkim when I first saw it on the wall going into a monastery. And I think that's also the same monastery, which is a long time ago, where I cut a piece of my hair and tucked it underneath a Buddha because I was heading towards
1: ordination. Uh, It has the entirety
0: of the Buddhist teachings in it. Samsara, four noble truths, cause and effect, dependent co-arising, impermanence, the six realms of existence, liberation, and the bodhisattva path.
1: It's all all here. Uh, So why don't we take it down for right now? And we'll bring it back or we'll bring back some form of it.
0: So what I'm hoping to do is to bring forward and enter through some of the traditional Buddhist teachings depicted. And I also uh, want to bring forward and infuse it, uh, permeate it uh, with Zen teachings. They're not different, but there is a slightly different flavor. And I want to call forward Dogen and Suzuki
1: Roshi. Uh, I found this recently.
0: I I came back from the pilgrimage uh, feeling conflicted. (laughs) And I was so glad when I found a quote by Okamura sensei who said bodhisattvas are conflicted beings. It's like, phew. (laughs) It's like I saw things that made me
1: angry, acute suffering. I saw incredible courage
0: and amazing embodied bodhisattvas uh, living and continuing to carry forward a lineage of uh, freedom for all beings, but I uh, practice with, struggle with. Uh, my My vow is to love and care for all beings. And what do I do with these beings who are? Uh, I'm feeling anger about. I'm feeling pain and suffering that some people are suffering and everybody's suffering. But what do we do when the suffering is? Uh, causing pain on the earth, the earth mother. So here's what Okamura said. He called bodhisattvas contradicted beings. Our practice fluctuates between commitment to our vow to save all beings and our commitment to our delusions. We want to escape from suffering. And yet, even as we practice Azen to be free of our emotions and thoughts, We are caught and ensnared in our emotions and thoughts, which often exert a strong control over our actions. I love it when people speak truth that just feels true to me, at least my experience. (laughs) This is our contradiction. We aspire to save all beings, for all beings in the earth to be happy and well and safe, I added that in, which is how we are sages. And this aspiration exists alongside the human reality of our delusions, which make us ordinary beings. While this is a contradiction, it isn't a conflict. It is exactly because we experience our myriad delusions that we understand human pain and samsara. And from this ground of delusion, we resolve to help others. We understand the suffering of others because we experience that suffering ourselves. To me, that's the treasure and the jewel of Sangha, or the people I went on pilgrimage with, is we just know. It's like we're here because we know love. We know the vastness and boundlessness, the endlessness of our vows. And we also know. We know turn towards as best we can, our own personal suffering, the suffering of the world. And if we're honest, or at least I'll be honest, I also basically want what I want. And I'm also white and privileged. And I want the earth to be saved. But I know I'm not doing all the things that I could be doing. And some of it's unconscious and
1: some of it's just me being me. Same thing in the realm of racism and social injustice. And. I have been really appreciating
0: Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings. I think I'm speaking for myself. After all these years, I mean, when, when he died, then maybe this often happens when someone dies—you stop taking them for granted. <laughs> it was I? I remember sitting in the Tassahara, uh at Tassahara, in a practice period in study hall, and for the first time picking up and touching something by Thich Nhat Han, and it was the first time I heard well, little bits and pieces along the way, of someone in our tradition actually talking about engaged Buddhism and how do we act in the world. I was so excited, and I still am. (laughs) He talks about uh, the relative dimension, us human beings, this, this world of Shakyamuni Buddha and all of our delusions and hopes and fears and and the ultimate deli- uh, uh, the ultimate dimension of boundlessness emptiness i remember first hearing that what a bodhisattva knows is emptiness and it actually made me kind of angry <laughs> because i didn't want to know emptiness i wanted to care and the more i care the more i know that if you don't also know emptiness and the deep it's not background but You can't take the backward step over and over as a vow. We'll just get burned out trying to run around and save everybody or change things. Uh, But he also has a third dimension and he talks about the action dimension. And I really, really appreciate that and hold that as a call on. Oops, sorry.
1: So what is it? has contradicted bodhisattvas to act in the world.
0: So here's a little uh, background Buddhism. I, I, uh, may, maybe you're like me, I'm just doing some confessing. Is someplace along the way, I think I got a little arrogant about basic Buddhist teachings. It's like, oh, the Four Noble Truths, got that one. <laughs> it's just, I'm, I'm just going to listen to Dogen. But Dogan knew all this stuff for goodness sakes. I mean, this is the foundation that all of this came out of and the three marks. We suffer because we imagine what is not a self to be a self. What is impermanent to be permanent and nirvana is right here. And we forget who we truly are. So. uh four noble truths which is completely embodied in the wheel of life let's let's just for a moment when i say these things not just go oh yeah 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 <laughs> heard that been there
1: there is suffering buddha says
0: i was studying today um, Arlene Berman and I have been studying together once a month, and we've been studying the Buddha's words, an anthology of discourses from the Pali Canon. And I'm just kind of salt and peppering this with things that the Buddha actually said. Uh, the truth of suffering is to be fully understood.
1: Second noble truth, there is a cause of suffering. The root cause is the perception of a separate self. Ignorance. We objectify, we
0: create the world out there. We keep creating the same old thing. The Buddha says pretty fiercely, this is to be abandoned, this view.
1: Practice with it. The third, the end of suffering, letting go, opening, asking and looking deeply. The Buddha says this is to be realized.
0: And the fourth noble truth, known as the Eightfold Path, and I think in our tradition uh, often articulated as uh, the Paramitas and the Precepts, The Buddha says
1: it is to be developed. The Buddha was kind of fierce. (laughs) I think I'm appreciating that more and more. So here's a
0: little quote, I think, from Judith Regeer. The ultimate paradox of Zen liberation is said to lie in the fact that one wakes up only in and through delusion itself. Never apart from it. This is Dogen's point over and over. Awakening and cause and effect are never separated. They always and continually arise together. In this sense, to live a truthful life, we cannot ignore either side. We cannot speak. We cannot seek to escape the suffering of human life by abandoning it and going somewhere else. And so called place of nirvana or the state of mind, which is enlightenment. We can't go someplace else. So if you think you're going to get out of here, (laughs) Buddhas know they're deluded. What an extraordinarily kind gift (laughs) straight from Dogen and the Buddha. So if we can't avoid cause and effect, how do we accept the suffering that's inevitable? in being alive and on this planet and on this earth. So here's another little quote, it's from Witsu. Uh, Norman recorded this when we went on a pilgrimage to uh, Japan many years ago, some of us in everyday Zen. And Witsu in a little meeting we had said, East, West, a person of Zazen is the same, grandmother mind. The kind heart is imagination, feeling for another. See them as yourself. Takes imagination. Imagination expands the heart. So on the pilgrimage, I decided uh, in places, well, if it didn't feel appropriate, I took it off. But in places where my heart just said, wear it, I, I wore this rakusu, And on the back of the rakusu i'm strangling myself is some calligraphy from norman many years ago uh, that says my companions it's, it's a dogan waku that is in the um the little blurb that's on the website my companions trekking the six realms my mother my father every time i wanted to make someone not my mother and my father <laughs> i wanted to strike them out of my heart or do something These beautiful vows.
1: We keep living it and we help each other. So we're going to go back to uh, the wheel of life. Um, Let's put it up again for a minute. I want you to see Yama. Yay, Yama. <laughs> Yama
0: is not bad. Yama uh, is death and impermanence holding us all in the wheel of his, her mouth. We're all governed by impermanence and in time. Uh, Yama, the word literally means restraint. Since Yama is the ultimate restraint on the freedom of all living beings. I think interesting that uh, we'll turn more to Dogen later, but talking about wise restraint, Yama actually means restraint. We are inherently restrained in this skin bag body uh, lifetime. This is one of Yvonne's favorites. Birth will end in death. Youth will end in old age. Meetings will end in separation. Wealth will end in loss. And all things in cyclical existence are transient. I really appreciate that Yama is, if you look, there's Earth under Yama. Yama is of the Earth. (laughs) There's rivers. And we'll turn uh, next week uh, to there's also open space and sky. And in the upper right hand corner is a Buddha pointing to the full moon. So it's all it's all it's all it's all
1: here. You see, it's all here. In the center. I'm going to hold up right here.
0: Uh, Let's see. Mm, Yeah, let me just we'll just I'll just hold this up for a minute. So there's lots of different depictions. I don't know if you can see that one, but in the center uh John Murray did this a uh, a few weeks ago. In in the center is greed, hate and delusion and it's depicted as uh the pig and the rooster and the, the pig and the snake and the rooster. And and someone said, someone immediately defended all those animals, which I think is really I mean yes and these are ancient symbols so let's use our imagination what i love and appreciate about this and the different depictions is they've all got their the, the tail of the other one in the other one it's like they're all going around in a in a, in a circle greed hate and delusion endlessly just this this the cent, the center of it if if we don't think that's the root of our confusion. <laughs> and somehow we think we don't have to study it with compassion and kindness and clarity. Let's just keep taking a breath and take the backward step, because otherwise we're just going to keep. I'm, I'm wise and clear and compassionate till I'm not. I don't know about you. <laughs> something will, the world will give me something, and then I'll get to take a breath and practice. Uh, the, the, uh, The basic reactions that the eye can have when it perceives something outside itself as other is attracted to it. We want to possess it, control it, take it over, make it part of ourselves in one way or another, subtle sometimes. But second, reject it, push it away, try to destroy it. That's aggression. Or we can ignore it and pretend that it doesn't exist. It's delusion. So these in the center color our experience of the world and drift to the background of our consciousness until causes and conditions are ripe. And then lo and behold, we thought we were over that one and there it is again. Uh, intermediate realms, if I hold this up, you can see the black and, and the white. Some are going up, some are going down. So everything's in constant motion. Uh, The light half is human figures climbing upward, the dark half is falling downward. I'm really aware that Zenju uh, Earthling Manuel has been really trying to uh, retrieve the word dark from being bad. So I want to be aware of that. And Dogen also Dogen's words are in Showaku Makusa, an ancient Buddha said, refrain from unwholesome action and do wholesome action, which is really the three pure precepts or the root of it. Okay, next comes the next,
1: uh, on the on the very outer rim.
0: I want to confess that I've driven myself a little crazy in the last two weeks, trying to figure out how to present the 12 uh, the, uh, the uh, fold chain of cause and effect or interdependent origination and dependent arising. It's not how my mind naturally works. And I wanna to apologize to anybody who has a really good Theravadan ground and to people who have uh, studied t- Tibetan um. But, so here's uh this is what I read today, found with Arlene. And to me, it's the essence of it, because it speaks to uh, the human condition. That's the name of the chapter here.
1: The world in turmoil,
0: the origin of conflict, the Brahman Ammurdand this is the uh, this is uh from the Canons, approached the venerable Maha Kasana, exchanged a friendly greeting with him, and asked him, Why is it? We could ask the same question, Master Kasana, that Katayas fight with katayas and brahmins and brahmins and householders with householders. Why do we keep doing this? It is Brahmin because of attachment to sensual pleasures, adherence to sensual pleasures, fixation on sensual pleasures, addiction to sensual pleasures. Essentially, I want what I want. <laughs> I think you've got it. And why do ascetics fight with each other? We might have some of this going on too, because of attachments to views. We could also say, why do Democrats and Republicans fight? We've all got really strong views. This has been going on forever. Adherence to views, fixations on views, addiction to views, obsession with views, holding firmly to views that ascetics fight with ascetics. Hey, here's another one. Maybe we have some interest in, is why do beings live in hate? Have you been asking yourself this recently? (laughs) I have. Saka, ruler of the devas, asked the blessed one, the Buddha, beings wish to live without hate, harming hostility and enmity. They wish to live in peace, yet they live in hate, harming one another, hostile and as enemies. By what fetters are they and we bound that we live in such a way? And the blessed one said, you want to hear the answer? Blessed one said, ruler of the devas, it is the bonds of envy and niggardliness. Maybe we should change that word. That binds beings so that although they wish to live without hate, hostility and enmity and to live in peace, yet we live in hate harming one another, hostile and as enemies. What gives rise to this envy and this niggardliness? What's the origin? How is it born? How does it arise? When what is present, do they arise? And when what is absent, do they not arise? Okay. We know these things, but study it. It arises from liking and disliking. That's the origin. What gives rise to liking and disliking? Desire. And what gives rise to desire? From thinking. When the mind thinks about something, desire arises. When the mind thinks about nothing, desire does not arise. Dogen said, think not thinking. Ongoing practice.
1: Here's uh, the dark chain of causation. I think I want to stress this because
0: I think we all worry (laughs) and what's going on and why is it happening and what do we do? So let's keep looking at the roots. Ananda, independence upon feeling, there is craving. Independence on craving, there is pursuit. Independence of pursuit, there is gain. Independence upon gain, there is decision-making. Independence upon decision-making, there is desire and lust. Independence upon desire and lust, there is attachment. Independence upon attachment, there is possessiveness. And then that what arises is niggardliness. I'm going to look up another word. And then there is defensiveness. Do you ever get defensive? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Because of defensiveness, various evils, unwholesome things originate, and the taking up of clubs and weapons, conflicts, quarrels, and disputes, insults, slander, and falsehood. And then he narrows it down, and he says,
1: Boils down to I have power and I want power.
0: Thank you, Buddha. The origin of this is without discoverable beginning. It just goes round and round. And that's what the wheel of life is. But it's like a dog tied on a leash bound to a strong pillar or post and just keeps running and revolving around that same post or pillar. Thank you,
1: Buddha. So that's what's on the outside of the wheel of life that just goes round and round. Dogen and Bukyo
0: Says, while well, practicing these causes, it's like each of these causes is the realm of practice. That's so beautiful. It's not good, bad, wrong, or otherwise. Just please practice here. says the links in the chain of causation that I just read you not only extend over time, but also arise and vanish in each moment. So what do we do about this? He says in other places, but we'll do more of this next week. In Hutsu Bodhishin, arousing the aspiration for enlightenment, it's Bodhi mind. It's Bodhisattva mind. It's wanting to see clearly wanting to be a conflicted bodhisattva forever. He's bowing and bowing and falling down and getting up. Dogen quotes the Buddha. What is the one thing that bodhisattvas guard? It is the aspiration for enlightenment, or I would say for all beings to be free. Bodhisattvas, great beings always endeavor to guard this aspiration for enlightenment just as people in the world protect their only child. It is like a one-eyed person protecting the working eye, or people traveling in a vast wilderness protecting their guide. Bodhisattvas guard the aspiration for enlightenment in this way. So, as if that's not enough, the wheel of life gives us the six realms. Uh, maybe let's put it back up again so we can see all, all of this. How it's all. I th- I I see this not as a static. Uh, picture, but that it's all completely in motion. I see it as holographic.
1: So we've looked at the center,
0: the the inner circle, the, uh, the intermediate circle. We've looked at the outside circle, and now we're going to start looking at the six realms. So I may hold some of this up off of another one, but if I'm just going to tell you at the very top traditionally is the God realm. Uh if we go to the right, uh and I'm gonna go over this a little bit more. Um, it's the realm of the jealous or angry gods, the Asuras. Oh yeah, wonderful. So that's the that's the next one down to the right. If you go to the left from the realm of the gods, it's the human realm. And it looks like in this depiction, which uh is it look it looks like people practicing. It looks like people are going back and forth between Buddha and earth practicing. I'm not sure, but that's sort of what I think. Um, Then we move down into the lower realms. And if you look uh, to the one uh, just under on the right-hand side, that's kind of gray. That's the realm of the hungry ghosts. I'm going to describe this more vividly, but I want you to see the images. If you go over opposite that on the left-hand side, that's the animal realm. I know we all love our animals. (laughs) I buried one of my animals in a rakasu, so, but there is, and there's the Jataka tales of of Buddha was animal in the Jataka tales. And there are limitations to being an an animal because uh, uh, the teaching is the most precious place uh, to be born is in the human realm. Uh, And then down at the very bottom is the hell realms. And there are hot hell realms and cold hell realms. Now, uh, you might notice in this and in other depictions, not, not in all of the Wheel of life, but I think in particular the Mahayana ones, uh, there's a Buddha or a Bodhisattva in each realm. And the Buddha or Bodhisattva has division bodies. Jizo uh, G- is one of, Jizo and Avalokiteshvara are often depicted as in, in these realms. And what the Buddha or Bodhisattva can do is completely speak the language and take the form that the person in each realm needs to hear. So they don't come down as high gods from above, but they enter completely and fully where they are. Okay, so uh, let's take take that down. And I want to say a little bit more about the six realms. And you're all being really patient with all of this. Buddha describes the experiences, the experience of being in each realm through the simile of the hot, weary traveler. They describe physical situations. We all know there are people living in hell realms right now, and I'll bet we could imagine people living in God realms right now. Describe it more. Um, There are also psychological states. So don't think we can project it out there. I've got my own hell realms and you may too. I've got my own fighting asuras and animal realms. And it's really, I think it's an amazingly helpful guide to be curious about what these are and what they look like when they show up in us or we are projecting it on somebody else. Uh, and of course, they also show up in the world and increasingly in these times and with climate and uh and and uh uh, technology were more and more aware of how accelerated it is so the realm of the gods (laughs) i kind of particularly like that image because they were kind of up on a white pedestal did you notice that they were kind of like up up high they weren't quite down on the earth so they're always depicted at the top of the wheel, the god, the god realms, the devas. They have a delight-filled, carefree existence in their home among the clouds and the sky. They're constantly entertained with pleasures and are spared pain and hardship. Uh, in this earth realm, it's people often born with privilege. So it's really difficult to awaken or have the impulse to awaken because life is basically pretty cushy. Uh, They have long lifespans, but they're still subject to worldly cause and effect. Because the day comes, and here's a description that I particularly like, when they look in the mirror and see gray hair or signs of aging. And it's a tragic calamity and signals demise of heavenly beings. It's like, oh, no, maybe it's happening to me. So their resulting destiny may be in the hell realms because the loss of pleasure is likely to cause resistance and desperate, futile clutching to hold on to pleasure. But it can also be that there are some who spend a long time in the heavenly realms to help prepare themselves for deeper spiritual practice and to return to other realms with the intention to help others. Isn't that kind of beautiful? So you kind of can't go wrong no matter what you got. The question is waking up in it. The practice, because there's always a practice and an antidote in this one, is uh the, the practice of meditation on impermanence. Okay, the realm of jealous and angry gods, the Asuras. It's above the human and below the gods. Unlike the gods, please pay attention here, they don't have confidence that their situation is sustainable. We might look at our government. <laughs> we might look at our inner government. They may have a position in respect, but it's too precarious to be stable. They spend a lot of energy trying to establish and maintain it. There's constant vigilance. In every situation, there's competition, favoring competition over collaboration, always comparing to others, always wanting more, and will always seek to get it. Therefore, there's jealousy, resentless. Competition, one-upmanship, frustration, unsatisfied desire, insatiable demands, identity with hunger and... No. Oh, they're afraid of hunger and poverty, desperation and selfishness. So it's difficult to develop compassion and intimacy. And spiritual life is usually always directed towards control. That's an interesting one, huh? They can get a lot done. They can be focused and take action. They, we, but there's a lot of self-interest in it. The antidote is compassion, meditation, sympathetic joy, gratitude. I have, I'm not going to take the time, but there's a quote here from Chi Hing, a patriarch of the Tendai School from 558, essentially saying, yep, it's going on here too. So there you go. Okay, hey, the lower realms. According to certain Buddhist traditions, the two worst realms to be reborn into are aptly called the hell realm and the realm of the hungry ghosts. The realm of the hungry ghosts, the pretas in Sanskrit, have craving that can never be satisfied. Constant hunger, they're portrayed with large stomachs and needle-thin throats. They can never swallow enough food. What they take in isn't nourishing. Food turns to fire and ash in their mouths. Psychologically, it can be associated with addictions, compulsions, obsessions. People who have everything but always want more may be hungry ghosts. Study this (laughs) with compassion. And curiosity and kindness. The antidote is generosity. Meditation.
1: The hell realms.
0: Buddha said hell is extreme physical and emotional suffering without hope of relief. Jizo, Bodhisattva, loves hell realms. It's like he's the Bodhisattva of lost causes. It's one and is fearless about it. It's one of the reasons I love Jizo. Just like. Okay, what can I do? In the hell realm, you're overcome by suffering, dominated by feelings of anger, aggression, depression, shame, anger, terror. You can't see change as a possibility.
1: Fiery hell beings
0: are angry and abusive, and they drive away anyone who would befriend or love them. Icy hell beings shove others away with their unfeeling coldness
1: and then turn it on themselves. Are you a hot, angry person or a cold, angry person? Or how does it move? What do you know?
0: And the two realms, uh, we're told to be careful of our understanding them are the animal and human realms. Here's the, they are symbolic rather than literal and have different associations in India than in Europe. So let's look at the animal realm, not through our favorite pet, but with eyes of. Uh...
1: Mild animals spend most of their time focused on eat
0: and sleep, trying not to get eaten. They go towards pleasure and away from pain away from what's threatening, uncertain, fight and fight, fight and flight response, and
1: they have their own keen intelligence,
0: great cleverness and resourcefulness to get what they want. My son's little dog, I can't believe how smart that dog is, (laughs) completely single-minded. Says that the animal uh, realm in the animals in the human realm. I mean, if you're in the animal realm in the human realm, what it would look like uh, is you want to create what's safe and predictable. You blindly follow rules, leaders, old feelings and beliefs and ideas. And there's a reliance on stability. Just keep it
1: stable. So.
0: Is an absence of curiosity and discernment. The antidote is insight, meditation, or mindfulness. And the opportunity is to get in touch with your animal body. Please come down to earth. Get in touch with your animal body. Stabilize senses here.
1: And last, the human realm.
0: It's the most auspicious. This is very good news, folks. We did it. It says a human birth is as rare as sea turtles who stick their heads up for air from the ocean depths once every 100 years to accidentally put their head through a life preserver that's been floating on the surface of the ocean. Doesn't always
1: feel that way. But yahoo, don't waste this life. Human realm, we search for our identity
0: through relationship. We want to draw life towards us and get what we want. I think some of these things are actually very, very beautiful. That's what we'll talk about more is the potential for transformation and how Dogen turns all of this. In the midst of flux, human sense, there's something more. We're trying to find meaning. We create ideologies and views.
1: We're longing for perfection. We're despairing. We'll never get it.
0: And it's the source of compassion and empathy. Because this searching and this feeling is what opens us. And that's where bodhicitta arises. So we practice in the human realm. It said the realm of suffering, samsara, the wheel of life, is the bodhisattva's playground. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) Conflicted bodhisattvas, it's your playground. It's like you got it. We practice the paramitas and the precepts.
1: we will do some of this more next week.
0: Bodhisattvas who understand suffering, that we're all in this together, that there is no separate me as opposed to you, and that this whole circle of the wheel of life, when we can embrace it, when we can bow to it, when we can meet ourselves and each other with love, we're still going to be conflicted because you're going to be you and I'm going to be me, but I also know the depth of my vow and so do you. And that's what we do in Sangha is help each other. So that was just a crash course
1: in the wheel of life.
0: So I'm gonna suggest we go off into small groups. You can talk about anything that you want. Maybe there was one of the realms that you particularly were interested in. (laughs) or not interested in, pay attention to that. Or you might also, uh, something else you might consider is what is a conflicted bodhisattva and does that have anything to do with you?
1: Sound good enough?
0: So it looks like, I don't know, let's come back. It's it's, uh, almost 20 after, let's come back. Why don't you have 20 20 minutes together and then we'll just come back and see what you all discovered about